Gile Piper. This is the Beyond the Curve podcast. Hello, I'm Richard Hans, global co-chair of DLA Piper's financial services sector and managing partner of our New York office. The coronavirus pandemic has brought the economy to a near halt, as we know, and turned the financial markets on their head. A range of issues have come to the fore as businesses cut off from their customers and consumers are seeking to balance the need to meet their own contractual and financial obligations while preserving cash the results of which are cascading through the economy right now. We'll discuss today what challenges and opportunities businesses should be looking for or otherwise be aware of as they navigate these shoal waters. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Tom Califano, the U.S. chair and the global co-chair of our bankruptcy and restructuring practice group, and Rachel Albanese, a partner in our New York restructuring practice. Tom, it's clear that many borrowers right now are accessing their existing credit facilities, trying to figure out what they're going to do here going forward. Some are making preemptive or precautionary drawdowns of their revolvers. There's so many factors out here as well weighing in, including regulators trying to jump in and telling lenders that they need to forbear. How is what we're seeing today different than what we saw in the last credit crisis from your perspective? Okay, thank you, Rich. The difference is that was a top-down recession or a top-down slowdown because it came from the financial institutions and it affected the availability of credit. Here, it's very different, and this downturn is very different because the banks came into this very well capitalized. But what has changed now is there is a demand shortfall. Demand is being impacted at so many different levels and at base at the consumer level. And that's unique for our last few downturns, our last few restructuring cycles. So that is a very different situation. And people don't know when demand will come back and when it comes back, what it looks like. So that's why the fix that the government is using may or may not get the desired results. Because while it may tide companies over for a period of time, who knows when the demand will come back. And then you have a couple of other factors that are playing in. One is most companies were highly levered going into this downturn. So that's going to have an impact on what they can do and what sort of demand shortfall they can absorb. The other thing that you have, especially in the middle market, in the upper middle market, is the prevalence of non-bank lenders. These private lenders aren't subject to the Fed in the same way. They don't have the same considerations. And some of them are themselves highly levered. So that's going to play in and it's going to be a very different dynamic. I think this is going to be a rolling downturn, meaning that it's going to have a ripple effect. So right now, first restaurants resorts, cruise lines, airlines are being impacted directly, then that's going to ripple out those effects to the suppliers to those companies, suppliers to those industries, and others who rely on it. And I think it's going to have a ripple effect. And I don't think we're really going to see the impact on industry, on companies for a few months. And Tom, with this press from the regulators to 
push for loan modification and forbearance, there's some fear that we're just pushing the problem down the road and that road is already looking pretty long. How do you see these issues coming to bear later? I will tell you, people who criticized what happened in the financial crisis took that position, saying asset values were inflated, debt levels were too high, and the can was just kicked down the road. I don't know if that's the case here, because as I said, this is a very different situation. But one thing that this may avoid is sort of a systemic bankruptcy crisis where if the courts could not absorb or process the number of cases, if they all came in at once. So maybe one result of this will be flattening the bankruptcy curve, just like we tried and flatten the virus curve. But a lot of this is just unknown and it's unprecedented in a number of ways. And the private equity sphere right now, too, it's a bellwether in many respects for what's coming. What do you see happening on the private equity side here now? Well, on the private equity side, you have a number of companies that are very highly levered because that's part of the private equity model. And especially of roll-ups in areas like healthcare. For example, there have been a number of roll-ups of physician management practices, dental practices, and the like, and they were all heavily levered. And some of them may or may not survive this, but what I'm hearing from our private equity clients is that they're doing sort of a capital triage. And in bucket A, there are the companies which are good companies, but are just hitting a speed bump because of the virus and we'll get past it once things open up. The B category, the B bucket, are ones that have some problems but are salvageable with the right amount of efforts by the professionals and maybe an infusion of capital. And then the final category are those that had problems regardless and were problematic before we were hit with this downturn. And those, they're letting go. Okay, because everybody has limited capital, both in effort and financially, and they're letting it go. So I think a result of that will be a number of 363 sales. That's the bankruptcy code section that allows a sale outside of a plan. Those will be shed, for example. Those are that category of companies that couldn't make it be shed. And frankly, this is a good opportunity for sponsors to clear out the underbrush, get rid of those companies, get rid of those investments that may not or probably will not provide any results or are not opportunities and allow them to focus on those that are. Tom, I think that's a great point that companies that are in those B and C buckets that you referred to could take this disruption as an opportunity to reassess what works and what doesn't. And as an opportunity to make the necessary changes, perhaps with less stigma than they would outside of this environment. And I think that's where most of the sponsors are going to go. Right. This is, I think, what you termed, Rachel, the new paradigm, right, that you're seeing where companies just simply can't dedicate their limited resources to unprofitable businesses or business lines, isn't it? Yeah, that's how I see it. And the new paradigm is really the lack of certainty surrounding the future, 
which makes it very hard to predict and plan and which makes it extra important to allocate resources to the businesses that do have a future that based on the companies and its advisors' evaluations really do have staying power and longevity so that when some normalcy resumes, whenever that may be, those companies will be well positioned to come into that environment. And Rachel, in fact, you were, I think, the first to file a COVID-related bankruptcy. Could you tell us a little about that case? What precipitated it? And what does that tell you about what you think is coming down the pike? Sure. So Valeritas is a medical device company that filed in Delaware on February 9th, 2020. It was indeed the first coronavirus-related filing in the country. It was the first one to attribute the coronavirus as one of the factors that led to its filing. In Valeritas's case, in December 2019, the company was in the final stages of an out-of-court sale process. It was severely liquidity constrained, and it was facing potential defaults under its term loan when it experienced a supply disruption due to a manufacturing yield issue. And this issue led the two potential buyers to back out of that sale process. Company management was very proactive, and the issue did not affect patients, which was good. But the supply disruption, combined with the related reduced inventory and decreased production due to the Chinese New Year and the onset of the coronavirus in China, where the device was made, proved insurmountable. The company decided, after considering a bunch of strategic options, to pursue a Chapter 11 sale process, which, as Tom mentioned, is under Section 363 of the Bankruptcy Code. So we filed that case with a stalking horse bid, meaning a bidder who had committed to buy the assets if an auction didn't yield any higher or otherwise better offers. And that stalking horse bid was contingent upon the debtors rectifying the yield issue. So in a case that started with a whole lot of uncertainty and contingencies, the company actually was able to satisfy that yield issue to resume production, to get the yield back to normal. And right now we're actually soliciting acceptances of a plan of liquidation. So it's actually kind of a remarkable success story, knock on wood, in a very uncertain time. And that ushered in the coronavirus era. But I don't know that other cases are having the same level of luck and success, given the uncertainty, as I said, of this new paradigm, because we can't predict the future and we don't know what's ahead. So it's very difficult, for example, for companies that need to run liquidation sales to do that because they can't open their stores and invite customers into shop. And so that, Rich, has led to an interesting phenomenon in bankruptcy cases called mothballing. And in that, the bankruptcy courts have exercised their power under Section 305A of the Bankruptcy Code to suspend these cases and essentially put them in suspended animation so that the debtor gets the benefit of what's called the automatic stay upon filing, meaning that creditors cannot come after the debtor or its assets. But whereas ordinarily the Chapter 11 debtor would continue operating in the ordinary course, paying its rent, paying its vendors, paying its employees. In certain of these cases that have instituted so-called mothballing procedures, the debtors are not 
paying all of these essential operating costs for some period of time. And so landlords, for example, have argued in the Models case, which is one of those cases that has instituted these mothballing procedures, that that unfairly puts the risk of the cases on them. And this has also happened in Pier 1, Craftworks, and a number of other cases that are continually being filed. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out and whether after this crisis passes, anyone can justify this extraordinary relief that has not been granted in the history of the modern (laughs) bankruptcy code. Rachel, I think this is a good example of how flexible the bankruptcy system is in the country, the Chapter 11 system, and how it responds and provides solutions to real-world problems. That's right. And one thing that clients may complain about the law and the court system is that it's not responsive to the real-world problems. Right. It's not commercial. But this is a great example of how our Chapter 11 system can be flexible to deal with these issues. And the reality is most of these retail cases require going out of business sales on stores they're looking to close or liquidation sales to raise cash early. Can't have a liquidation sale when people can't go to the stores. Right. So it's a recognition of that, and it's a creation by the courts of a real-world response to a real-world problem. And one thing that I've always said to clients about the bankruptcy code, and one reason why I think it's more effective than any of the other insolvency schemes in the world is that if you can come up with a business solution to a problem, you can usually find a way through the code and the court's equitable powers to get that solution implemented, especially in the face of some recalcitrant creditors. So I would think this is a real good example of how bankruptcy courts can solve business problems, preserve enterprise value, and look out for the collective interests of creditors and of debtors also. I agree with you. I think the landlords might disagree, but I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say that as a litigator, I've always been envious of the practical way in which the bankruptcy court approaches these issues and deals in equity to more quickly approach a solution for all involved. So we are where we are right now. What do you see, Rachel, coming down the pike the next three months, the next six months? What are the key takeaways for those listening today? What I've been telling all of the clients that I've been talking with is cash is king. So whatever mechanism that you can do either as company or creditor to get your hands legally on more cash is very helpful. And that leads to an inherent tension between borrowers and lenders, of course, because borrowers want to hold on to that cash, lenders want to get it in hand. But that is really, I think, the overarching principle. And then I would say, as Tom mentioned, that the most immediate things that we're seeing are the entertainment, the restaurants, the places that require large groups of people to come together. Those are the immediate distress that we're seeing now. One other thing we're seeing right now are the companies that had problems before the coronavirus hit. And so whereas they were hoping that circumstances in the economy 
would allow them to turn things around, coronavirus has taken that away. And so now their problems are laid bare and there is even less ability to fix them. So in six months, I think we're going to see companies that previously might have had a better chance of survival or even potentially sale coming into chapter 11 without such rosy prospects. But hopefully we can turn this around and we're not still talking about the impact of the coronavirus and shelter-in-place orders in the fall. Tom, from your perspective, what are you seeing coming down the pike here? Well, I think there's a couple of things to just expand on what Rachel was saying. I think we are going to see, once we get past this first rush of companies that were in trouble before, and this is tipping them over the edge, we're going to see the impact of the loss of demand on companies that are very highly levered. And I think we're also going to see, just getting back to something I said earlier on, we're going to see the impact of having non-bank lenders who may have their own considerations in these workouts and who also are going to be less reluctant to take over companies that they think have a future but are just highly levered. I think we are going to see certain industries and certain sectors that may believe they were not really impacted by this downturn that are going to be impacted. For example, if you're an office lender, okay, or if you're a REIT that's heavily invested just in office, you may say, well, we're not getting hit by this. We're not getting hit as much as the retail or the lodging REITs because we're all in office space and office tenants are paying their rent. However, this is going to create a fundamental change as people will be more reluctant to come into the office and firms have realized, especially those firms that are working well without serious interruption during this crisis, they're learning we don't need as much space. We don't need as formal space. So the demand for space will go down. That's going to have an impact on landlords and consequently the investors in those office properties that they don't really anticipate now. So this is what I think we're going to see is the initial impact that we're seeing now. And then we're going to see the impact of societal changes and impacts on demand that are a consequence of those societal changes that we really can't measure yet. And we're really not sure what they are at this point. And no one can tell you how things will be different because people don't know, but they just can tell you with some confidence that things will be different. So just going back to certain things that Rachel said, one thing, liquidity is everything because with liquidity comes options. So companies need to monitor, project, and plan their liquidity and also think about what levers they can pull if there is a liquidity problem long before it becomes a crisis. Because typically when it becomes a crisis, there are less options and far less of an ability to restructure the company in a meaningful way. And the other thing is companies are going to have to plan for the impacts that cannot be measured at this point, but they're going to have to plan for several contingencies at the same time. 
because this is an ever-changing dynamic. I mean, it may not be a year or so before we know exactly what the impact of this virus and the shutdown is. But the company that wants to survive this needs to be thinking and planning for any of the impacts that are likely to occur and looking at the counterparties they have and what the impact may be on those counterparties. Uh, Suppliers, which was the cause, as Rachel said, of her case, that was first case to cite corona as a cause. So it could be a supplier. It could be a customer. People are going to have to work harder on the planning and preparing for contingencies. Well, there's no question that parties are going to have to try to plan. They're not quite sure what they'll be planning for, but one thing is certain as well is that companies will need to be nimble in how they plan and how they react to the changes that are sure to come down the road. I thank you, Tom and Rachel, for what I think was a very productive discussion today. There's clear that the key takeaway from all of this is that in unprecedented times, it's difficult to imagine what, in fact, is coming down the road. But certainly the bankruptcy courts and the bankruptcy procedures will offer some measure of solution, if not solace, to a great many of the companies that are going to be struggling down the road. So thank you again for joining us today and take care. Thank you for listening to DLA Piper's Beyond the Curve podcast. This podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship between the firm and listener. All information, content, and materials discussed are for general informational purposes only. No listener should act or refrain from acting with respect to any particular legal matter on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. 